Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. I'm really glad that each of you have decided to be with us here at Church in the Valley today. Um, my name is Jeep Underwood, and uh, Alex is out uh, demolishing a building right now with <laughs> with a group of other folks from some other churches uh, up in Chico, California. So I'm going to be speaking. I'm actually starting off a new message series called The Necessary Thing. Uh, and really, like, what is the necessary thing that you really need to really kind of hold life together, to really pull things together for you? And I don't know about you, but I really like to watch movies. And I, I, I enjoy watching movies, and there's certain scenes that kind of stick in your mind. And for me, there's this one scene from a movie called City Slickers. I don't, some of you may not have even ever seen that. But it's back in, uh, back in the late 80s, and uh, it's about this guy who goes to a dude ranch, and he's a city slicker, but he wants to learn how to be a cowboy. And the old crusty cowboy tells him, well, you know, the secret to life is this one thing. And he looks, he goes, your finger? (laughs) No, no, no. He said, no, it's just one thing. He goes, well, what is it? And he goes, it's whatever you decide. Whatever you decide is that one thing. And I remember at the time he started to say that, I thought, hey, is this going to get profound on us? And then, nope, no, it's not. Um, Basically, he just said, you're on your own, figure it out. (laughs) And, And there's really no input there at all. That's really not very good direction or advice. And so what I'd like to do as we kick off this series, is just to look at what Jesus said. Jesus said something was the necessary thing. And that's we're going to be kind of unfolding that, kind of breaking that down over the next three weeks. But if you look at Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 38 through, 30, uh, through 42, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a time when Jesus and his, and his followers were coming through town, and they hung out with uh, Mary and Martha, a couple of sisters in this one town. And basically... It says, now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. Now, that tells you a lot about Jesus right there, that anyone would feel the freedom to come approach him like that. <laughs> you know, Jesus was one very approachable person, and she felt the freedom to talk to him like that. And when, But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So... He sticks up Martha and he says, you know, Martha, you're, you're, that, word, that word worried means anxious. It's like you got anxiety about all the things that are going around. And he said, Martha, you're missing something. Of everything that's happening right now, the most important thing is what Mary's doing. And so I remember when I first read this, the first time I read it, I went, wait a minute. Jesus just said one thing is necessary. I went, that sounds pretty, you know, when God says this is the one thing that's necessary, I want to know what it is he was talking about. So I went back. And all it says is that Jesus was sitting at his feet and listening to his word. She had taken the position and the posture of a disciple. She had humbled herself to him. She was listening to what he had to say with the intention of putting it into practice. That it really was going to change her life. And Mary, I mean Martha, she had the same opportunity, but she dismissed it because there was so much anxiety in her life and things that she felt she needed to do. 
This series, uh, throughout this series, we just want to pull out this one truth, and that is that God desires for us to enter his life and his teaching and instruction in such a way that we change over time to become like him. And which really, it, it, it enables us really to handle life as it comes, and it really helps our lives to really make a difference in things that really matter. It's like the life we've always wanted, the life of impact, the life of significance, the life we've always wanted is what God really desires for us. So over the next weeks, uh, today we're going to be looking at the reality that we have to come to grips with to enter into that life. Next week, we're going to be looking at the real invitation that Jesus gives us um, to enter that life. And then the third week, we're going to be looking at the necessary thing that's required for us to genuinely live that life. So that's what this, that's what this message series is going to be about is trying to lay hold of that. But today we're going to look at the reality that we need to come to grips with. Now, <clears throat> what feels real in our lives, we've got a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of things that are coming at us. There's things that really, things that really matter to us and we don't know how they're going to turn out. And so we deal with a lot of, uh, we deal a lot of anxiety in our lives. Um, like, you know, we're trying to raise our kids. Maybe you're trying to raise your kids and you, you really want them to turn out well and have good lives. Well, that's something you, that you can get anxious about. Um, you really want to accomplish, maybe at work, there's some things you need to get done, and you really want to accomplish it in a way that's successful. And you just don't know how it's going to turn out, so it just kind of weighs on you. Maybe just good, just relationships. Maybe you know, in marriage and with your kids, at work, the extended family, your friends. It's like, you know, things keep coming at you, things get messed up, and it's like, how do you handle this whole package of life as it's coming at you? And it can get a little anxious. Today, I wanted to, there's a few of you here that have heard a story that I want to tell. But I want to tell you a story of a time just about three years ago when several things came at our family all at once. And uh, it was one big thing, but it had a lot of repercussions. And, you know, back this is about three years ago. I was in May of 2014. I remember I was uh, in my in my times with God. There was uh, Isaiah chapter seven was really standing out to me, and I was really spending some time there. And basically, the story there is the king of Judah sees these two big armies. They came together and they come to conquer his kingdom. They're on their way. He, when he finds out about it, they're halfway there. So it isn't like they're thinking about it. They're on their way. And it's, there's a phrase that really stood out to me. It says, the heart of the king and the heart of his people shook like the trees of the, like the forest, like the trees in the forest shake in the wind. He just, he just, it just rattled them to the chorus. Like they're coming and I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know how we're going to handle it. And so God sent a prophet to him and the prophet just said, uh, hey, you don't need to worry about this. It's not going to happen. That's what they're, they're, they're coming to get you, but it's not going to happen. So he lays out, he says, gives him some advice, and he says, what I want you to do is be careful, be calm, do not fear, and don't lose heart. And I, I just memorized that phrase. because As I read that, I thought, man, that is good advice. I feel like things are coming at me all the time. He says, you know, be careful, don't do something stupid. He says, be calm, don't do something stupid. <laughs> it's like, uh, do not fear, don't give in to like a fearful framework for your life. And don't give up. Stay in it because I'm taking care of you. So that was, that was the advice. So, I, I was, so everything I was going through for a few days, I was something come up at work like crazy and I go, 
I, I want to react. I go, okay, now be careful. Now be calm. Don't give in to fear. And then how are we going to figure out how we're going to go forward this and don't give up as we work. So it just, it became kind of this lens I was working through for that, as I was going through that week. And then uh, towards the end of that week, uh, about 8.30 at night, we had, we were just finishing up dinner. <clears throat> we eat kind of late. And uh, our family's there at the table, and we get a phone call, and I go get to answer the phone, and it's the owner of the house. We'd been renting this house for 17 years, which is a long time. And our fa- our kids had grown up there, and I'm on the phone, and the owner says, you know, Paul, um, which is my real name, by the way, because you were wondering. Uh, she goes, well, Paul, um, I'm going to sell the house, and I want to sell it fast, but I wanted to give you the first chance at buying it. And I can tell you, the first thing that went through my mind wasn't, yay, an opportunity to buy a house. The first thing that went through my mind was, I'm not ready. I'm not ready for that. The market, the expense, you know, the expense, what houses were going for. And I just, I just thought, I'm not ready. And so I began to feel some anxiety because I knew things were going to change. And so I said, well, can you give me some time just to figure out what I could do and what I could offer? So <clears throat> I hang up the phone and I go in and I tell Kate, I tell the family. And I said, hey, Kate, that was the owner, and uh, she, uh, she, she's going to sell the house. And as soon as I said that, Kate started crying because she knew we weren't ready either. <laughs> we weren't ready either. And it was just, and then Molly started crying. So if you ever want to get to a dad, just have all the women in your house start crying. I mean, so then, uh, you know, Kate and Molly are crying, and the boys are going, what's going on? Because, <laughs> you know, it just, as a guy, I mean, I can totally relate. It's a guy you're like, what's, okay, let me clue in here. <clears throat> so uh, just kind of explain that. And uh, so over the next couple of weeks, we went back and forth a little bit, and I, and I got some advice, and, and I figured out what the top dollar was that I, could, that I could do. And so I made an offer on the house, which is just, it was below market, but it was substantial uh, enough to scare me. But uh, so I, I offered this to her, and her response wasn't verbal. It was a 60-day notice tacked on the door telling us to vacate the premises. And I thought that was a little unkind. But, uh, you know, I was, at, I, was at, uh, I was at work. Kate calls me, and she told me, they just put a notice on our door. I was waiting to hear, hey, did she accept? <laughs> and she gives me this call, and she says, you know, there's a notice on the door. And, and I said, really? And I said, Kate, it was, a, it was late in the afternoon, and I said, Kate, I'm coming home right now. And it was about, I took off about an hour from work, and I went home. Right away, and I, and I got the whole family around the table, and I laid the 60-day notice on the table, and I just explained to them what was going on and that we needed to find a new place to live, and we had 60 whole days to do it. <laughs> we could take as long as we want, as long as it wasn't more than 60 days. So, and so I, I, I said, you know, guys, and I said, now, I, we need to pray. We need to pray, and we need to ask God for help because this is outside of our control. And we have to we have to be moved. And so I, but I said, but I'd like to know what what are the things that are really bothering you or, or worrying you're most worried about? And, and so Patrick said that he really wanted to stay in the same area because he wanted to keep going to the same church so that he could be around his friends. And I said, you know, buddy, that's a and Pat, you know, my kids were 15, 14 and 11 then. And so I said, Patrick, that's a really good thing to pray for. And Molly said, you know, I really want to go to Mark Keppel High. Because I want to stay in the area because all my friends from eighth grade are going to that school. And I said, okay, you know, Molly, that's a real good thing to pray. We'll pray for that. And then uh, Donovan said, uh, 
I want a swimming pool. <laughs> so I said, no, you know what, that, that sounds good. And uh, I said, you know what, you know, God's fully able to give us a swimming pool if he wants to. We can ask, you know. So, and so we, we prayed, and we prayed that God would uh, take care of us. And when we got done praying, well, I told I told him, I just got the, this thought came to me, and I said, guys, you know, I don't know how this story's going to end, but I do know we're going to have a story to tell. And then we just continued to walk with God and, pr- and, and prayed over time as we went through that. And I'll, and I'll tell you the rest of that story uh, at the end of the talk today. But just, just want to kind of highlight, you know, there's things that come at you that, that shake you. Uh, sometimes it's a combination of things. Sometimes it's one thing that causes a combination of effects. But how do you handle those things? And what I want to talk about today is the reality that we have to come to grips with to know that, to uh, really go through those moments with God. What's the reality that we need to come to grips with to really go through those moments with God? Uh, I'm going to just talk about three things. One aspect of reality we've got to come to grips with is that God is in control. And he actually is the one who created reality. He fundamentally knows how it operates, and he's the one that can really help us learn how to deal with reality. Uh, in Acts 17, it says, Paul says about God, he says, In him we live and move and exist. We are completely enveloped by God, and we live in him. And I'd like to look at uh, Colossians uh, 1, 16 and 17. And this is uh, Paul writing about Jesus, and he says, For by him... All things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It's interesting that if you go on the macro level, no one really knows. No one can really tell you what gravity is. They can tell you it's consistent. You can measure it. But they can't really figure Einstein had some theories, and you can go read those and see what you think. But uh, there's some theories about it. But then you go down to the micro, the micro, you go right down to the atomic level, to the nucleus of an atom. And the protons are all positively charged, and they should repel each other, and it shouldn't hold together. And so science is trying to come up with an understanding of why, what is it that holds that together. And you can do some a lot of good reading if you want to. I did recently. I'm not going to share it with you because it hurts my mind. But uh, but on the fundamental, at the biggest level, at the smallest level, we haven't yet figured out what holds it all together. And this verse says, in him, all things hold together. God is the one who holds everything together. And he's, if he ever, I think if he ever let go, I think it would literally blow our minds. <laughs> it would just end. He's that involved in what's going on around us. Second aspect of reality that we really got to come to grips with, you know, he's, he's really in charge. Second grit is really kind of like what he's like. It's God is our father who cares about us deeply. The second aspect of reality is that God is our father and he cares about us deeply. Um, when you become a dad, uh, that is, you begin to understand a little bit more where God's coming from sometimes. But if you look, I like to look at Psalm 103, 13 and 14. This is what David said in the Old Testament. He said, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he, is mind, for he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. You know, when God looks at us, he sees what we're dealing with, and what moves in his heart is compassion, like a dad. He cares about what happened to us. In fact, he longs to help us. 
And that's just that's just who he is. And so that's that's a big part like of his father's heart. Um, go through just I want you to go through a couple of aspects real fast of this. God really has a desire. Here's a verse that tells you that really shows you just how much he really wants to help you with the anxiety level that you're dealing with. Uh, I'd like to look at Psalm. I'm sorry, Isaiah 41:10, And this is God talking. He says he's talking to his people. He says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God desires to help us with the things so that we can not live in fear, but really have his act of help. That's just, that's just uh, part of his heart. Then, uh, well, then the question is like, well, what, what about when you mess up? You know, what about, what about when uh, you don't, you don't things right? And does God ever just like cut you off? Like he just says, you know what? There was a limit and you're right over it. And now we're done. Does God do that? Like take a look at Isaiah 54:10, And this is God speaking to his people again. And he says, for the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake. But my loving kindness will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. There's absolutely nothing that would separate us from God's Father's heart towards us, um, from his end. Um, He says, you know what, everything in your life might be shaking. Everything might be going south. He says, but you can, this is a bedrock thing, that my covenant of peace with you will not be shaken. And my loving kindness uh, will not be removed. Now, when I'm going to tell a little story on Patrick. Um, Patrick's 18 now, but uh, he used to be three. And uh, when he was three, one time, uh, I think he, I think he had just got into a little scrap with his sister, and he had, he had been, uh, let's just say, not as gentle as he should have been, and he had, he had, uh, he had hit her. And so I had to correct him. So I, I pulled him in. And I had to give him a spanking, and I said, you know, I pulled him like I, like I would always do. I said, now, son, do you understand what you did wrong? Yes. I said, do you, uh, are you, you going to do, uh, uh, did you know what you did wrong? He said, yes. And then I said, well, buddy, i got to give you a spanking now so that you learn not to hurt people. But we don't hurt people. Okay. And so I gave him a spanking, and he was crying, and. And I put my arm around him, and I, and I just said, now, buddy, uh, do you know why you got in trouble? Yes. Do you, uh, do you know, uh, are you going to do that again? No. And I said, well, that's good, buddy. That's exactly the right way to be. And I kind of had my arm around him, and, and I stood up, and I walked, started walking across the room, and I turned back, it was, he was, and he was standing on the bed. I turned back around, and there was a look in his face. And I could recognize the look. The look was... Are we okay? Did I, did I lose out with you? Are we okay now? And it was a look. It just broke my heart. And I, uh, I went over there and I said, "No, buddy. Hey, son. Do you know that? Do you know that sometimes I walk by you and I almost can't keep from just picking you up and giving you a hug? Did you know that?" And he, there was a look of joy that just went over his face and he jumped off the bed into my arms. And I'm holding it, and I'm trying not to. I'm trying to hold it together. And uh, as I was sitting there, and, and I really felt like God was. I really felt like God was telling me, 
He says, Jeep, I feel that same way about you. And it was just, it was a moment I'll never forget. And it was a moment that I think God really used in my life to understand how he looked at me. He really cares. We, I don't think we can even come close to understanding why, but he does. He cares very much like a father. Now, the, you got to come to grips with that. that he, that's really the way he approaches you. Another thing you got to come to grips with is the third thing I want to talk about is just you have to respond to him in humility so that, um, that that's what connects you to him is, is your response of humility. In fact, let's take a look at Isaiah 66, 2. In Isaiah 66, 2, uh, God goes back through, he kind of defines, he says, for my hand made all these things. He's talking about creation. Thus, all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. What he's saying, one thing he's, he's saying there is that when you respond to him with humility, uh, like a child, and you take his word so seriously that you are going to actually put it into practice, then he is what connects the dots. His heart for you and his, your heart for him is what brings you together. And that's what, uh, and that's what he really desires. So those, those are the three aspects of reality that you really have to come to grips with. Now, I want to I want us to take a look at a movie clip. Um, is that going to work, guys? Is it? Okay, we're good. Uh, there's a possibility that the, the sound will be distorted. If it is, you, at the very beginning, there's a couple of loud things, so don't jump too high. But uh, particularly this clip is from a movie called Blood Diamond. And I think sometimes you're watching a movie and you see a, you see a clip and it really kind of, it just resonates you with, resonates to you with uh, like an image that's really, there's a truth there. So I want you to take a look at this. This is a, I'm not going to tell you the whole, explain the whole movie, but there's a, it's in Africa and there's a, this, this man's son has been stolen from him by some warlords, very evil men that take kids and they turn them into evil people just like they are. And they force them to do awful things. And a lot of it with weapons and things like that. So his son has now been trained in weapons and, uh, the movie, one of the things that's happening through the movie is he is pursuing his son and he is chasing his son down to rescue him. And this is right at the moment the bad guys are taken care of and it's just him and another guy that's with him and his son. And so I want you to watch this clip and then we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it. Your sister, 
and you do, baby. The cows wait for you. Unbound. The wild dog wants no one but you. Hmm? I know they made you do bad things. But you're not a bad boy. that clip. Um, you know, it's a picture there of a strong father who's been pursuing his son and his father has an unconditional love for his son. And when the humility of a child finally surrenders, literally <laughs> surrenders to the embrace of his father, they're together. And they're together and he's he's restored the relationship is what it should be. And so when when we respond to the fact that God really is strong and in control of everything that concerns us and that he cares for us deeply and nothing can change that, then we can actually surrender to his ways and we can... Uh, respond to him with humility and get in and embrace him and become with him. And that's really at the heart of the with him life. Um, it's really captured as well. If you look at first Peter, I'd like to take a look at first Peter chapter five, verse six and seven. And it says this, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. When you do, when you come to the point where you do believe that God is in control of everything that concerns you and everything around you and that he cares very deeply for you, then it, it enables you to really humble yourself and rest in him and cast all your anxiety on him for how things are all going to turn out. That's really, uh, that's really at the heart. That's like the initiation part of, uh, of really just coming to know God and really walking with him. Now, I want to... As I get as I get ready to kind of just wrap up the talk this morning, I want to kind of tell you the rest of our house story. So you may be encouraged that we're not living on a park bench. <laughs> like for three years they've been in, living in a van down by the river. No, no, um, we haven't been. Now I, I told you, you know, we got a 60-day notice to get out of the house, and for a couple of weeks, man, I was look, I was beating the pavement. I was uh, looking through on the internet and want ads, and there was simply nothing on the market. There was our, now I found there's a couple of things, but, you know, it was just, they were just very small places and they just wouldn't meet our needs. And so I was just looking for a house that we could have. And we were praying. And then about two weeks in, Kay gets a phone call from a lady who lives down the street from us or, or lived up the street from us. And uh, 
Kate, over time, had just, we, we both gotten to know several of our neighbors, but Kate, like, knew everyone on the street. Kate is, uh, she's just a gal that everybody knows because she likes everybody. She's a great person. So she knew this lady. This lady calls her up and says, Kate, I went by your house, and I, I saw a for sale sign. And then I thought, oh, no. And she has a, she's a very excitable lady, very emotional, very kind. She goes, what's Kate going to do? And she's like, and so I was all worried and bothered. And then I thought of my brother, my uh, son-in-law. He has a house right behind ours up the hill. And he um, uh, he has some tenants uh, that aren't going to be out until late late January. But I told him he ought to, he ought to think of you guys as his first choice. He really ought to let you guys come in there because you guys are like the kind of people he wants to have in there. And so she tells her all this, and it was like, wow. So Kate gets off the phone, and I said, well, Kate, well, what's his phone number? Oh, she didn't say. Oh, okay. It was like, it was like later in the day. And so then she, she gets back hold of the lady, and uh, I, she couldn't get I think for some reason she was out of town or something for a while. Anyway, there was, just, there was just this. For about three weeks, I didn't get his phone number. So you're just like, <laughs> I think we might be okay, but I have no idea. So... Uh, the thing is, I did finally get a hold of him, and I got his number, and I called him, and he, he said that he couldn't meet with us until July, until July 20th. Now, the day we had to be out of the house was August 2nd, so if you can do the math, that is like 11 days. So, you know, so in my mind, I'm going, so you're telling me, <laughs> I won't know how this is going to turn out until 11 days before the deadline. And so, but it just honestly... It just, it just seemed like this is really how God's going to be taking care of us. And uh, and there were several times in the course of that time when I had to be careful and I had to be calm and I had to not give in to fear and I had to not give up. Because I, I went through all those ideas over those next few months, a couple of months. But then uh, what I didn't know is that I was gonna, we were going to have an audience on this. Uh, the owner had a real estate agent who was selling the house. And so I wound up talking with her quite a bit. And she'd call me up. Oh, Mr. Underwood, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing good. She goes, are you, uh, have you found a place yet? And she was really concerned that we weren't going to get out of that house. She had already lined up a buyer, and they were going to take possession of the house on August 2nd, the very day that we were supposed to be out. I said, uh, well, I said, you know what? We got this line on a house. I'm going to go talk to him on July 20th. And you can almost see the phone rattle on her side because it was in June, uh, like mid-June. When I told her that, she was like, uh, well. And so she's, she's getting kind of nervous. And I told her, why well, I feel pretty good about this. I really think this is what's going to happen. And so she'd call me every two days. Every two days. Did you find a house yet? And I said, well, I've continued looking. There is nothing on the market, but I think I have this land in the house. And finally, she calls me this one time. And I just wanted to help her. I just wanted to help her out. And I said, so I just, actually, I just told her, I said, you know, uh, Rachel, I said, actually, um, the, uh, the, the truth is, is that, you know, we've, uh, we've been praying that uh, God would give us a place. And it, just the fact this came, this came through relationships and it has nothing to do with anything else. I said, it just feels like him. And I, I got a pretty high level of confidence that this is how he's going to take care of us. And. I, and I got done with that, and she said, you know, I have some family in Israel I'm really concerned about right now. Could you pray for the peace of Israel? And I said, yeah, yeah, I can. I will. I will do that. And I did. And uh, 
But she was still concerned that I wasn't going to move out of that house. So she'd call me, and I'd say, okay, Rachel, just so you know, even if I don't get a house, I'm going to move everything out of this house. I'm going to put it into storage, and I guarantee you that no matter what, I will be out of that house on August 2nd. It didn't help. Every day. she just So every couple of days she'd give me a call. But then uh, then we, uh, it was August. So we actually got the, I went with the guy at June on July 20th. Actually, it turned out to be July 22nd when we finally got to meet with him. We sealed the deal. And I, the house wasn't going to be ready till August 1st, so I got I worked a deal where we could move everything into the garage. So on August 20, on uh, July 26, we moved everything from my house into the garage, and about 35 people from the church helped us. And then uh, for about a week, we camped in our old house. <laughs> so it's like you know three mattresses and a TV. I felt like I was a freshman in college all over again. But um, so. So that's, that's kind of how we lived for about a week. And then uh, we moved in. Uh, on August 2nd, we grabbed all the rest of the miscellaneous things that we had, loaded them into the van. And as we put the last piece in the van, the new owner of the house drove up with Rachel. And they stepped out of the car, and the, the owner of the house just I went, hi, and he just walked past me and went into the house. But Rachel came over, and she just looked at me. She said, you did exactly what you said you would do. And both of us knew that I wasn't alone in that. Both of us knew I wasn't alone in that. And that that is, for me, now one thing I had been, just a little bit of context, I had been praying that God would show himself real to my kids in the months preceding this. And this isn't really what I had in mind. <laughs> it isn't really what I had in mind. But God showed himself strong for our family in a way that my kids could see how real he was and how he took care of us. And uh, it's something we reference a lot in our family. It's just, it's just, it was, it's a, it's a centerpiece of our family's history. And so that, you know, that uh, is really the way that God took care of us. And just, you know, when you come to believe that God is fully in control of your life and he cares for you as a father and your response to him is humility and surrender to his ways, then the door opens to the life that he really desires for you. Just the door opens. The embrace happens and the door opens. And for the next couple of weeks, we want to look at what does it take to walk through that door to have the life that God God has for you. So uh, I'd like to ask the band to go ahead and uh, come up as I as I just go through some next potential next steps that you could take um, from what from what you heard today. You know, one thing, one thing that might be good for some of you is to think through, uh, identify, really identify a current struggle that you're having in doing what God says in some area of your life and evaluate where the struggle's coming from. Is it coming from, uh, you know, you're not sure that God's really in control? Is it coming from, like, does he really care? Uh, is it because I just flat out want to do what I want to do? Like, what, where's that coming from? Because... There's an old adage, a problem half, a problem well defined is a problem half solved. And so there's a lot of value in just finding, just determining like what it is you're struggling with. Another thing is maybe, maybe for you, a good next step would be just to carve out some time alone with God this week. And really to the purpose of just getting to know him and what he's really like. And I, and I have some suggestions of Psalm 25, Psalm 37, Psalm 103, and Psalm 107. Just some very good Psalms just about who God is and and what he really desires for us. 
Or it could be that maybe what you need to do is memorize First Peter 5, 6, and 7. And really just carry that around with you this week. And kind of, as you're going through, just be thinking about that. And as things, anxieties come, think about what you can do with them. And, uh, and just uh, carry that around as a point of action. Or maybe, you know, God has something else that he shared with you this morning. I'd just do that. Let me pray for us, and uh, we'll, we'll continue. Father, I just, uh, I just pray this morning, God, that you would really reveal yourself to each one of us in a real way. And show us personally that you are in control, that you care, that you love us. And I pray you'd help each of us to respond with humility. In Jesus' name, amen.